on the island of Sicily, I was marooned in Palermo twice. It was while my ship was in what is known as dry dock, a nonstop flurry of activity where hundreds of workers, in this case Italians, come aboard for two weeks straight. They work round the clock to complete an impossible amount of renovations on time. During these endless hours, if you are not needed on board, you run. Some ran just to the nearest Wi-Fi. I ran far, desperately avoiding the buzz of saws and intermittent air conditioning as often as I possibly could. Having already explored every corner of chaotic Palermo, I knew where to escape. An hour away by train, the oasis of Chefalu a medieval village that you could go your whole life not hearing about, much less discovering, and yet it rivals those on the Amalfi Coast. Envision water the color of emerald green glass, translucent yet smoky, where whitewashed houses meet the edge of the sea with such conviction you are not sure who's winning. This is K.K. Robbins, and you're listening to Episode 4 of Travel Talk. Arriving in Chefalu, the first thing you see is La Roca, the rock. 270 meters high, like Gibraltar, it dominates the tiny village. And that is where we are headed first. Before the climb, we pay a small entrance fee of 5 euros. The path up is clean and nicely sloped, but no flip-flops are allowed. It takes 30 to 40 minutes of calorie burning to reach the top. Calories we'll be putting right back on later in the day. Thank you very much. Looking out, the four layers of Chefalu are laid out before us. The rock on which we stand, then the Duomo or Cathedral, which stands two to three times higher than any of the other buildings in its wake. Then, the Old Town, which fans out from the Duomo for several streets until it abruptly meets the fourth layer, the sea. From this vantage point, you can easily see how this became a natural fortress. In addition to the 360-degree lookout from the rock, rising unevenly from the shore, layer after layer of rock billows out, leaving a blanket of impassable mounds that belong in a scene from outer space. Looking back out over the Duomo and Old Town, we get a lay of the land to make our own plan of attack. The sea surrounding the village is in the shape of an L, on our right on the northern side and then ahead on the west along the buildings, eventually breaking away to our left into a long stretch of sand and Chefalu's primary beach. Just behind us on the backside of the rock is Caldura Bay, Several boutique hotels are built into the coves on this quieter side of Chefalu, including my go-to, Hotel La Colette. Surrounded by Mediterranean gardens overlooking the sea, the tranquil property spreads out over multiple terraces, working their way down to the shore. With separate swimming spots nearby, you can go traditional at the sandy beach of Colette, or follow one of the paths down steps carved into the rock to the wild, secluded cove of Calvetta Selvaggia. Or forego sand altogether at the Colette Reef Club with its flat terrace that floats out over the sea. Here, you can lounge on one of the king-size beds or get active and go supping right from the edge into the protected cove of the bay. Making our way back down from the rock, we reach the main piazza and 
feel the scale of the dominating Duomo. This particular cathedral draws in crowds coming to see the imposing golden mosaic of Christ, which can be seen from every pew. Outside, the artistry continues with multi-hued ceramics. In every color and design, they form tabletops at cafes, such as the Piazza's Bar Duomo, and are made into tableware like wine pitchers and plates that fill the shop windows. There is even a street lined with oversized planters straight up the middle. And Cefalu has its own Mona Lisa, just across from the Duomo inside the Mandralisco Museum. Find the portrait of an unknown sailor by Renaissance painter Antonella da Messina. Then move around the room and you decide. Do his eyes follow you too? In The White Lotus Season 2, only two characters visit the seaside town of Cefalu. Yet, the beach, like in the opening scene when a lifeless body appears in the waters near the resort, well, that beach isn't really in Taormina. It's four hours away, right here in Cefalu. Meaning, more of the characters were able to experience this little slice of Sicily, including, I happen to know, dropping into a few of my favorite upscale eateries, all of which I'll include in the show notes. And that is exactly what to do when in Cefalu. Eat and drink. Not that there isn't more to do, it's just that that's what they do best. The innovative culinary experience goes well beyond Nana's Kitchen. Like the new kid in town, Brahma, which is racking up only five-star reviews. Needing a little pick-me-up, I stop into an espresso bar on the piazza. Ordering a coffee at a counter in Italy is a lot like placing a bet at a craps table in a casino. Overwhelming until you understand the rules. Then, quite obvious and easy to maneuver. At first glance, it's impossible to know where to go. With up to a dozen people standing at the bar, whose turn is it? Where's the line? Ah, but first we must go to the cashier. We order, we pay, the cashier hands us our receipt, then we find an empty slot at the bar, sometimes standing sideways and lay our receipt down on the counter directly in front of us. With the speed that will make you immediately question the morning delay at Starbucks, the receipt is torn, a mark that we have indeed been helped and our drink delivered. Depending on the time of day, I'm having either a cappuccino or a ristretto, which is a very short pulled espresso, making it more concentrated and therefore naturally sweeter and less bitter. It is also barely a sip, making it truly a shot. But whatever I order, if it's much past noon and not after a meal, they'll know I'm not Italian, although I actually am Italian. So let's just say they'll know I'm from out of town, but never judgy. Italians want you to live your best life, however odd your choices may be. Leaving the Duomo Piazza, we veer right, then a quick left, to begin following the top of the L shape we saw from high above. The water is on our right, just behind the row of buildings. Many are restaurants or shops, and as we pass each one, you can often see straight through to the sea. Using every pocket of the town for tables, you'll find them in the most peculiar of places, like tucked under archways or over the sea on piers no more than two meters wide. I love each location equally, hence why I feel the need to have a progressive, non-stop consumption of food, drink, and place. 
The restaurants along this row have the most striking views, including the one with the skinny pier. However, as with many best view establishments, the food can be a distant second. Yet, when I'm here with a friend, like you, I think it is a must experience. With a little flirting, which in Italy equates to simply smiling, I explain to the host that we aren't wanting lunch, but would love a drink and antipasto. Si? No problema? Grazie mille. When I know an eatery is likely to underwhelm, but has high marks for views or even just ambiance, I keep my expectations in check and go with the basics. In case you haven't caught on, we are in that situation right now. We pass through the long, slender dining room, the water already in view ahead of us, and step out onto the terrace. Here, we are not directly over the water, but over those rock formations that look as if rushing lava was stopped in its tracks and pooled at the sea. Selecting the trio of bruschetta, pomodoro, fungo, and melanzane, tomato, mushroom, and eggplant, each chopped into a delicious tapenade, we then settle in to absorb these extraordinary surroundings. Food is definitely secondary. Did I just say that? Our next stop is a little further down, keeping the water on our right. With a left at the end, we reach Porta Marina, one of the town's most photographed spots and used in a white lotus scene. It's a grand arch that opens onto Spaggia del Portavecchia, a small manicured beach that, depending on the season, may be entirely bare or layered with perfectly arranged blue and white striped loungers. Although the sunset is usually a bit cockeyed from inside the arch, it makes a perfect photo with the colors streaming into view from the side. Then, simply step on through for a clear view of the sun. A block further, we enter through iron gates on our right into the ancient Arab laundry, just one of the many civilizations to leave their influence on the island, and this easily overlooked piece of history is a must-see. We descend down a slightly curved staircase made out of lava known as a lumicella into a damp but cool room dug entirely out of rock. In oversized basins, water still flows from an underground river through rows of cast iron mouths shaped like a lion's head. Sicilian women washed their clothes here for centuries. Back on the street, we go up only a few more doors to the Enoteca, or wine shop, Le Petit Tonneau, French for the Little Barrel. Chatting with the experts, they explain that the local island wines are having a rebirth of sorts, and the conditions, from hot in the west to cool in the northeast, produce a dry wine with character. They suggest an Etna Bianco named Giovanni Rosso. Sounds like a man I need to meet. We slip past the bar inside to the way, way back, out onto a very petite balcony with only enough space for a handful of people. With our Sicilian wine and a plate of formaggio, we sip and eat with the sound of the sea crashing around us. Exiting the Anateca, we turn left and retrace our steps, passing the Duomo on our right and a lookout point known as the Bastione on our left. Near this section is Via Mare. Built into the rocky sea face, you can walk along a path that takes you across precarious bridges and through narrow boulders, with the sea lapping beneath you. There are even exit or escape points cut right into the wall. 
we will forego that excursion for now and stick with the theme. Who's ready for a cocktail tasting? As we all know, handcrafted cocktails are having their moment, and given that I am what my people would call a high-maintenance drinker, I'm definitely here for it. One place has the cocktail market cornered in Cefalu, perhaps all of Sicily. They even have a charcuterie board and seafood platter worthy of a cookbook cover. Oh, and they're really a wine bar. Continuing further ahead, walking parallel to our adventurous seaside path on the left, we reach Eureka. It's like Eureka with a J. It's a very odd word, so once I asked an Italian friend the correct pronunciation, his reply, as if I were accusing him of something, what is this word? This is not an Italian word. This is in Sicily. It could mean anything, huh? Clearly not Sicilian. Everything about What's-Its-Name is a perfect cocktail. Take the unique ingredients, add in the delicate coupe stemware, mix in the terrace with a sea view, and serve with a sunset. Salute. There are simply too many intriguing options to ever order just one, like the demure but fiery Eurasia cocktail with homemade wasabi vodka, lychee syrup, lemon juice, and fresh mango puree, or the butter pea flour infused gin and tonic with portofino gin, or the crushed pistachio and rose pisco sour I had once. It was a drink of the week that I've been missing for months. Speaking of Mona Lisa, the most talked about are their arty sours. That's mainly due to the whimsical art images that they cleverly add on top. Don't worry, I'll be sharing lots of photos and recipes on social media. Not surprising, one of the most popular arty sours is Frida Kahlo. She definitely would have seen her own reflection here, and not just in a coupe glass. The whole of Chefalu, it's just like her. Bold, soulful, and a bit wild. Join me next week as we leave Sicily and fly 200 miles south to the islands of Malta. In the meantime, check out Instagram and Facebook at Travel Talk with two Ks and see with your own eyes what I've been on about. Arrivederci, amici. Goodbye, friends.